0: Everyone, welcome to another episode of CJ and the Duke. As always, I am your co-host Robert the Duke Fedoric
1: and I am Corey CJ Wesley.
0: All right, Corey, what are we talking about today?
1: All right, Duke, today we're talking about the market viability of certain of ServiceNow skill sets, right?
0: Yeah. So last episode we talked about what it takes to become an implementer, and Corey and I really wanted to squeeze an extra section into that podcast, but it was just too long. And so we're dedicating this episode to just breaking down all of the process areas and seeing if it's a viable niche, if it's viable enough on its own. And uh, what else are we are going to throw in there?
1: We're also going to talk about what you need in this particular process area in order to be in order to be a good implementer. So what we mean by that is what kind of skills do you need? Do you need to know how to code? Do you need to find somebody who knows this thing to teach you right. that sort of thing?
0: Good point. And actually, if you haven't watched the last episode, there's going to be a link in the description below. Highly recommend you watch that first. But we're probably going to repeat ourselves anyway and just say for every process area, you need to know the actual process.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And then some of these is a little easier to know the process. And there's a lot more information out there available to learn it. And for uh, others, you're you're probably going to have to find somebody, right? you probably going to
0: have to find a mentor. Or you might have had to work in that industry before.
1: Yeah. Or find somebody who does, who's going to download that knowledge for you. I mean, some of these things get really specific.
0: Yeah. So we just browsed docs, found a whole bunch of process areas. And where do you want to start, Corey?
1: I'll start with uh, SPM, AKA ITBM,
0: AKA Project Portfolio Management. Old and, school. Yeah. And application portfolio management. And gosh, is safe in there too? I think. Is safe in there? I think safe is in there. I think yep. so. I mean, it's just another way of doing big stuff, right? You break it up into agile phases and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Okay. So SPM, I might go first on this one since- You should definitely I'm... go first since you're an expert. <laughs> I know a thing think too about SPM. <laughs> yes, it is marketable, especially if you go back to our last episode and realize that if you if you've lived in a PMO, this is a no brainer. And I would say that the ecosystem is dying for people who can deploy SPM from a sense of, I know exactly how the tool works, but also walk into a PMO and say, hey, you know how we go through all this drama when we need to do status reports? Well, we do it this way now. So if you can speak the language and have familiarity with that, then yes, this is a marketable niche for certain.
1: Absolutely. And that but also, man, let me tell you, that's where all the value is, right? Like being able to know how it works in the tool is great. Like a lot of folks know how it works in the tool. But mm-hmm. being able to go in and speak the language, that's like, you know, and again, right? Like if you listen to the last episode, we kind of harped on that a little bit. We'll harp on that again some more here <laughs> because it's super important. So let me ask this question. Now that we've established that it's marketable, can it be a standalone skill?
0: That is a great question. And I would say probably not for most. If you are exquisite at it, I mean, real good, and go back and watch our episode on testing for wisdom, and that might tell you if you are exquisite in it or not. Oh, yeah. I would say it is standalone only if you came from a PMO world.
1: Okay. Like, like
0: I didn't come from a PMO world. I have one customer that literally calls me the PMO whisperer. I'm that good at it, but I, (laughs) I don't think I'd have enough steam to do this exclusively.
1: Yeah, and, and I'd, I'd kind of agree with you on that, right? I think if you come from that world and you sp- you've been speaking that language like natively for quite some time and you've onboarded yourself into the ServiceNow ecosystem and now you speak the language of the platform too, I feel like, yeah, you'd have to be exquisite. Otherwise, I think you'd probably want to pair this with something else. Yeah. All right, so what kind of skill do you need in order to do this? Is it a low-code, no-code thing, or is this a pro-code thing? Where are we at on that?
0: Yeah, I'd say the more code you know, the better. Not that you're going to be doing a whole bunch of code, but it's a very complex machine underneath, right? So especially when you're talking about the way time cards interface with projects and project tasks and resource plans, which also interact with cost plans. All of these things can affect each other. And it's kind of like a Plinko machine. You put the ball bearing in at the top of the machine, it hits all those pins. You don't know where it's going to end at the bottom sometimes and so the more you the more you know about code the more you can interrogate the many many layers of script include in there to figure out exactly how it works
1: yeah man i'll Uh, tell you this is why i don't work with this particular process (laughs) my first uh introduction to this like as it migrated to like the itbm world from uh, ppm it, it was that it was just so baked on the, under, on the underside of it, right? Yeah. There's just like scripting clue after scripting clue with business rules and cl- all these things, like is an engine under this thing. And if you don't know how this engine is working, it's almost impossible to tune it. And I didn't want any parts of it, I got out.
0: <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say it's absolutely necessary to be a dev. It's just that the more dev skill you have, the faster you'll be able to get to a point where you can explain the real complex stuff. Right. And I'm not even saying complex in a bad way. It has to be complex just because there's so many variations in the way you can deploy a resource plan, measure costs, interface time cards into determining did it actualize or not. There's just so many different ways you can pull that off. And so it's complex by necessity and it's complex in the code. So anyways, don't want to beat that dead horse. Yes, it takes some technical finesse as well.
1: There you go. All right. So let's move on to the next one here. What we got, Duke?
0: Well, I'm going to shift the order here and go to one that you are certified in. Let's talk about um, ham sandwiches. (laughs)
1: Oh, man, I go
0: ham. (laughs) Go ham for ham sandwiches. That was a a ham-fisted joke.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We're here all night. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) For hardware asset management. Is it marketable? I'd say it is. You know, and it's funny. Uh, one of the folks that I know, uh, Matt Barron, right? He's just posted something on Twitter talking about asset management and kind of, and his post really just underscores the importance of it. Right. And, and one of the things that I added to it was that in a world where we're mostly virtual or partially virtual, it's a lot harder to actually keep good accounting of what assets you own because mm. laptops don't just exist in a physical office anymore. Right. They exist sometimes at home, right? And some those aren't laptops, sometimes they're still desktops or printers or what have you. Right. And so keeping track of that stuff and ensuring that it comes back to the company when folks go through the employee life cycle and depart will save a ton of money. So if you ask me is is ham a marketable skill, I'd say yes. Absolutely. What do you think, Duke? <laughs>
0: It's a no brainer for me. Absolutely. It is. And the more you look into ham or even just asset management in abstract, the more obvious it is that there's piles of money waiting to be saved with this. And I'm not going to go through like a whole asset manager spiel here, but asset manager is like an umbrella term for a whole bunch of other processes, everything from request to receiving to invoicing to yeah. like, where is it located? Right. And And then disposal, recycling, destruction, all that stuff. It's all under one big umbrella. And every one of those processes has its own outcomes. And, you know, you're thinking about disposal alone. How many licenses of software do we have on there that we can recoup? Is there like super secret data in there so that it it must be disposed by destruction and not recycling? Absolutely. It's it's just risk and money. And so it's absolutely...
1: Go ahead. Now, say so you hear that money, 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 right. money, money.
0: <laughs> so I think it's one of those apps that's really easy to implement, run for three months and say, look at the dollar value. Yes. If you gave it enough thought at the start, you can come up with like definitive rolling accumulations of aren't we glad we did this? Absolutely. This is one
1: of those that is really clear dotted line value, right? Or straight line value, right? Like from the implementation of the process to dollar saved. And if you're doing, like you said, Duke, if you're doing your job right, like in three months time, you can show like a green number to some folks about the the impact that you made. Mm -hmm. That is that by itself makes this like ultra marketable.
0: But standalone? I'm not sure.
1: Mm. I hesitate to say yes, but I also don't want to say no. I feel like a good asset management person could probably make it. I feel that way. Yeah. You know, when you look at hardware asset management, software asset management and all the various subsystems that kind of underpin that, stuff like contract management and the financial aspects of this and disposal yeah. like you mentioned, like I feel like you could probably make a killing there just doing this by by yourself, especially if you know it well.
0: I have to agree and the more you are an asset manager first and a ServiceNow person second, the more yes. true that is. Like, I know a lot of people that know how asset management works on ServiceNow, but every time you get into a room with somebody who's like a legit asset manager before their service, like everybody just leans forward and is like, <gasps> Yeah. Cause they always, they're always coming up with like these super profound stuff. And yeah. Without repeating the last episode all over again, <laughs> this, is, this is one of those, if we had to scale them, I think has, hardware asset management is one of those ones where the service now component of it is almost less important.
1: I'd agree with that. I'd also say too, that this is one of the, the parts of the system where I feel like the implementation of the process on the platform really matches closely with the implementation of the, of the process in the real world. Yeah. Like you said, Duke, if you are an asset manager who comes to the ServiceNow platform and picks up that tool set, you'll be very well served. So, okay. Now, is there any skills. like, yeah. You, I think you can get by with this one on low code. I don't think you need pro code skills for asset management. There's some flows there that you got to tweak mm-hmm. out, you know, and you can, I mean, that's flow designer. That's all good. Yep. It's a lot of like configuration stuff around there, condition builders and lists. Selectors and you know slush buckets and things like that. Yeah, let's just call it
0: like you have to be a platform builder.
1: Yeah, I think CSA is probably sufficient.
0: This really overlaps with CSA, but I would say you'd have to have like a lot of experience in reporting because why do it if you're not saying like why do exquisite disposal if you're not saying here's the money we recouped or here's all of our certificates of destruction.
1: Yeah, and that Um, goes back again to talking the language of the business, right? Because this is all business value focused. Alright, okay. what we got next?
0: I mean, we might as well do software asset management now that we're here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely marketable, mm-hmm. absolutely marketable, and maybe even marketable to a certain to a, to a greater extent because software is eating the world, right? To quote Mark Andreessen, right? And, and is it
0: all good? Software becomes hardware, or is it the opposite?
1: Is is the opposite? All good hardware becomes software, and we we've seen that to quite a quite a degree already. And I think, you know, my implementations of of, of um, Sam, I felt like the most business value that was generated was generated there because most people don't know what they have. And once you start knowing what you have, then you can actually make decisions based on what you have. And that's powerful. That's a huge unlock for business. Sometimes yeah. businesses scale way beyond their skis, right? And they're just trying to catch up. I mean, you got a ton of Excel spreadsheets out there, and you're just trying to put these things together and figure out where you're it's not gonna work all that well, right? But you start getting, you get a sound process in there and you start figuring out what software you got and what software, and more importantly, what software you're not using. That's the unlock there. Oh my God, we've got like a thousand licenses over here costing us 50 grand a month and we're, we haven't implemented one of
0: them. That's a big problem. It happens. Can this stand alone?
1: Yeah, I, yeah I so. but I would pair it with ham, honestly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's actually a good call out because it's just like, yeah, I could stand alone but if you could do ham and sam together then you're like the definitive asset management resource absolutely right and why not kill both those birds with one stone
1: yep
0: right cuz exactly. it's all like at some point on the ledgers it's money hardware's money software's money yep and so how do we best i don't know can you depreciate capital investments in software
1: man i almost about my hat
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be a great question for a software asset management expert.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Right. And and if you're going to be a software asset management management expert, you should know that. Right. Mm-hmm. So those are the things where we when we say speaking the, the language of the business and the questions that you're going to ask, that's probably one of them. Right. So you should know the answer well, to that.
0: I, I had this conversation today, actually, in every other context across the enterprise. When you say asset management, you're talking about people with a financial background. Right assets is a financial term it's not a technology term right and it's not a construction term none of that it's a financial term but i think there's so many people who just get assigned the role in it hey you're the asset manager now they learn how to use the tool but they don't think of these things as financialized things anyway so going to beat that No man home. that
1: was a good <laughs> good point man good point good point because they get assigned they get labeled an asset manager but asset manager but what they really what they really are is an inventory manager and that's yes. a that's a difference. Yes. So so to be clear, right? Like you you said, like an asset manager man, asset manager is a financial position. It's absolutely true. Right. Right. And if you're just managing boxes on shelves or right. laptops and cubes, right, like you're an inventory manager. There's a difference, right? Like in, in yep. the the processes, the expectations should be different right? So ensure that if you're going into this and proclaiming yourself as an asset manager of some sort, hardware or software, right, that you have that, that holistic understanding of the financial aspects of this particular process too. That's right. Or you're just an inventory manager.
0: It's, it's the number one thing I learned about asset management. What is an asset? Whatever finance tells you is an asset.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Whatever finance cares about is an yeah. asset.
0: <laughs> if finance is depreciating mice, then you worry about mice becoming assets.
1: Along this vein, Duke, I'm going to actually go a little bit out of order here, too. And let's bring in CMDB because I feel like it relates a little bit as well. Right? Mental
0: note here, though, we got to get a really badass Ham Sam person on.
1: Yeah, we should. Absolutely. Totally. Okay. But CMDB. Right. And, and the reason I want to bring that in is because there there is some relationship to, mm-hmm. you know, Sam, Ham and CMDB. Typically, these items, while they're managed as assets on one side of the ledger, are managed as configuration items on the other side right and so there is a little bit of um there's a little bit of synergy there yeah and so what do you think duke is it marketable
0: yes with a with an asterisk um <laughs> okay asterisk. all right now, okay, now we're I getting mean, juicy it, it's proven marketable. You could still go on to job sites and find ServiceNow CMDB roles everywhere. And the market also has this terrible mishmash of like a CMDB process owner can also be our CMDB person in ServiceNow. Yep. Then there's this whole idea that customers just say, oh, put CMDB on my deployment plan. They don't have anybody internally who's going to manage the M part. Ooh, and yeah, yeah. vendors just come in, turn Discovery on, and pfft, there's your 7 million uh, CIs, quote-unquote. Um, <laughs> so it's marketable in the sense that if you can do it right and get value, super marketable. And the asterisk there is, since you're there, why not be a CSDM expert too? Yeah, that's since true. Since CSDM, correct me if I'm wrong, basically is the really abstract layer of the CMDB, but they're all CIs.
1: Yeah, CSDM and – I- I shouldn't say this out loud, right? But I, I'm CSDM is so so difficult. <laughs> yeah. I get it, right? Like it's this whole layout, ho- holistic abstract layer of how everything in the service now instance kind of relates back to each other for you know improved reporting and tracking and things of that nature, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know I can I can find like where my business service is and the applications and track that back to like the underpinning CIS you know, from a foundational layer and, and all that kind of stuff. And I could do service offerings. That's all great. I get it. It's super hard like to execute on that value proposition. If you are a CSDM expert, we would like you on the show.
0: (laughs) I haven't tried it to be honest. I sat through one CSDM workshop put on by another partner and it was like, it was decent. So I don't know. I mean, getting back to the prime question, is it marketable? It's marketable already. And you don't have to be good at it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but that's bad for the ecosystem. You know what I mean? Like there's thousands of ServiceNow seem be people out there. that come in, go through the motions and you have all these giant, huge discovery jobs and massive sprawling configuration management databases that the customers really don't understand yeah. what it's doing. Yes, it's marketable. But please, for heaven's sake, if you're going to do it, do it right. And yeah, don't ask it- me what that means because I don't know. <laughs> everybody knows my dirty secret now for those
1: not in the loop <laughs> the open secret is the duke does not do the cmdb <laughs> but no seriously i mean all of that all of that duke that's all super super on point there and yeah it absolutely marketable Please be good at it.
0: <laughs> yeah. The tech skill you might have to have, because again, the market's just trying to mishmash this all into one job, is no discovery. And if you're going to know discovery, that's, I would say it's like, it's not like developer hard, but it's hard. It's technically hard. You know what I mean? It, it, it's hard yeah. in a different kind of, it's like a different way to develop probes and sensors and network protocols and
1: it's the holistic it knowledge right the generalized it knowledge that you need to have that makes discovery something that's semi-difficult right because you got to know what a what a router is and a switch is and, and all other kinds of it equipment that actually lives out an ecosystem you need to know what a server is right you mm-hmm. need to know connect to the cloud and scan the cloud and what kind of the, how those virtual instances look when they come back and what ram and you know processor and all that kind of stuff like does and and some, not everybody in the ServiceNow world knows that stuff, right? Especially if you came from an application developer background. Yep. I've learned that in my years of IT is that, you know, I was a bit naive when I started. I thought application developers were like the pinnacle of the IT person. They absolutely knew what was inside the box. And, and I found out that most of them didn't. Right. So. Yeah, it's, a, it's to,
0: for sure a different technology skill. For sure. Right. Different technology scale,
1: yeah. yeah. So keep that in mind.
0: All right. Uh, Let's go with BCDR. Explain that one to me. What is
1: BCDR?
0: Is that business
1: continuity uh, disaster recovery? All right, cool. Sure, it is. Suss that one out. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Do I think that's marketable? Two years ago, I would have thought that was marketable when the pandemic hit Mm -hmm. and everybody's working from home. And to me, that's like disaster recovery at that point, right? Like nobody's in the office. Nobody's. You know, I'm thinking, okay, man this might be a big deal. Business continuity, right? Like keeping things Mm -hmm. going. I just don't know that IT ever coalesced around it the way that I thought they would over the last two years. And so for that one, I'd say I would not invest in it. I'd say it's not marketable.
0: I'll answer the second question. I don't think it's standalone. Like I don't think you can make your living going consult to consult on BCDR Consulting yet. I think anybody who has a shot at doing it would be, again, those people who ate, slept, breathed that process. Like they were a BCDR person before they were ever ServiceNow people. Those people might be able to make a go out of it. But they're going to make a go out of converting people from solutions that pre-exist. This is not a zero to ServiceNow space. This is a we're moving from our old BCDR solution to ServiceNow.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And so right.
0: it'll be people who would like not only to understand the language, but understand the technologies that have supported it traditionally and move them into service now and tell the story about why they appeared. Those are the people that are going to make it.
1: Okay. Building on that, then I'd say the skill you need here most of all is you need to know this industry. Like you need to be a a, a BCDR person. You got to speak the language because your customers are going to be people who are speaking the language. Like companies that are doing this thing and that take it seriously enough to invest in it on the ServiceNow platform, they probably have some knowledge around it. They probably got a person who is doing this stuff, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and, that, and that person speaks a language. They're expecting their counterpart on the ServiceNow side to speak as well. Yep. I'm going to say that that's probably like the most needed skill there is to actually know the language of what your counterparts are looking for.
0: Some bright points on this though, ServiceNow did acquire a company that did nothing but BCDR and they basically built a a prototype on ServiceNow and not too much longer ServiceNow bought them. And another one, secret sauce, at the second DevCon hackathon, James Neal, Joel Olives, myself, and Jason McKee built an application for business continuity and disaster recovery workflows. And Fred Luddy was there and told us that when he decided what to build on ServiceNow so he can get investment, he was stuck between BCDR and ITSM.
1: Oh wow. So okay.
0: I would say there's still there's still glimmers of hope for that one for sure.
1: All right. So yeah, especially, maybe especially like then. with the
0: ransomware attacks and just like new cyber attack angles and stuff like that. I think there's a SecOps angle into BCDR.
1: So you took that one right I, right out of my mind, man. I was thinking the same thing as you know, a transition into SecOps would be a good process to hit from BCDR because I do feel like there is like a, a connection there. There's an angle, maybe not as a standalone BCDR person, but maybe a SecOps person who also has BCDR. I can see that being a marketable set of skills. But SecOps itself, right? Do we think that's marketable? I think it's probably one of the most marketable skills you can have right now.
0: SecOps? Yeah, yeah. I'd agree. And I I think... I'm seeing a lot more of it, just in feeds and job posts. Nothing but my guts here, but I have the, I have a feeling that SecOps is a great niche. But this one feels like it's just another one of those cases where they want somebody who understands the world, not somebody who just understands how it pulls together on ServiceNow. Yeah, but some again speak the language. Just do the whole last episode again. <laughs> 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 but it, there are a few people in my connections list that are exploring secops as post-secondary or or something right but they're initiates in the secops world and they've got familiar with the serviceNow tool and they still get the looking for work sign up so this one is unfortunately just another example where the experience they're looking for is somebody who's familiar with the secops world sorry I keep I'm, like repeating myself over and over here but
1: no, no, you're absolutely right on this. So f- from my experience, what I've seen is that the experience necessary here is to have that real-world SecOps experience, right, with the tools that exist outside of ServiceNow. Because this is this one is very implementation-heavy, right? So, Or I'm sorry, integration-heavy, right? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of connecting with external SecOps tools and pulling data onto the platform to get the insights into ServiceNow, right? That's what a lot of SecOps is. And you need to be familiar with those external tools so that you can understand like how they work. So this is one where I think it's marketable. I think the skills that you need to achieve this are have experience in the the global kind of ecosystem and be able to speak the language of the folks that are in that ecosystem, right? Because it is a different language from incident management.
0: Yeah, it's a killer niche. If you haven't been a ServiceNow admin and you are have worked in the, in the security ecosystem and just like get your CSA. To jumpstart your SecOps knowledge and you'd be golden. It's a golden, golden, golden niche. Agreed. All right. HR.
1: (laughs) Oh, HR. We should have my buddy Phil on here. HR, is it marketable? Hell yeah. (laughs) I don't have anything else to say on that. Hell yeah, it's marketable.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think so too, because... You got to think ServiceNow built HR because they were looking at all the custom tables everybody was building in their instances and said, yeah, a lot of people are building HR. Let's build that too. And it was one of the first kind of non-ITSM things right out the gate.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Another thing about HR that I've noticed, and I don't know if you have too, is I find a lot of customers have a strong desire to split the team at the HR point.
1: Yep. Agreed.
0: Let's put SAM, HAM, SecOps, GRC, all the catalog, all the ITSM, all on the ServiceNow admin team. And then it's like, let's do HR2. Let's put that stuff in the HR side. We have our own yep. ServiceNow admin. I've never understood why that is, but I see mean- it all the time. And it kind of underscores the idea that it is both like a serviceable niche and a standalone niche.
1: Absolutely standalone. Totally agree with you on that. And I think the nature of the split is due to the confidential nature of the the stuff that exists in HR, right? And so they want more control over that person. They want that person on their team, right? They want them reporting up through the same HR stack as everyone else. And I think that's where it comes from. But absolutely marketable, absolutely standalone marketable. And probably one of the things in in the ecosystem, i say that's most marketable right now.
0: Most marketable? Really?
1: well one of of them
0: yeah side skills
1: man i think you could do this one low code to be honest but you know don't take my word for that i'm like you with the cmdb i completely avoid hr (laughs) i think you could possibly get away with low code on this one i think some of the tools lend themselves that way but i do know that pro code does benefit the implementation i'm not sure don't don't take what I say as authoritative here.
0: I'm going to go back to my SPM answer, right? You can go in with a low-code sort of configure-only mentality, but I think given that split and the fact that, you know, the HR tool is great, but it doesn't cover absolutely everything in HR, so they're probably going to want you to build, but you're going to be the only person on the team. I, th- yeah. I think that it lends itself to the stronger builder you are, the better you are at HR. So combine HR with go as deep as you can.
1: Yeah. Okay. You
0: know what I mean? And, and, and take it from that angle. So I'd say it's just pro code. Yeah. Well, every, every step you take towards pro code is just one more grain of salt in the seasoning. One more tablespoon of gravy on the potatoes. It only does you better. So that's my thoughts on that. I mean, we're just going to say this over and over again. You got to know the lingo, but you also got to know what keeps those people up at night. It is not another ITSM.
1: Exactly. It's not another ITSM, right? The conflicts are different, right? The problems are different. Mm -hmm. So you got to know what they're trying to deliver. Their audience is different. They want different things. IT has folks who want to get back up and running like as soon as possible. HR has folks who are sometimes in a crisis when when they're looking to utilize the services, right? It's it's, it's, it's different.
0: And it all has to be super secret too. This information can't just be out there. And it's got to
1: feel super secret.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, right, I mean, like it's-
0: it's, like it's in ServiceNow. A user can look at the list of users and find out information about other users. Right, right. In the requested for list view, if if the mobile phone number is there, you can see it. But with yep. HR, it's like profile information, and I don't know what kind of stuff is on an HR profile. But I imagine it's stuff like how many strikes, are you paying alimony, you know, like you know <laughs> how much are your how much of your wage is being garnished, like that stuff that's just kind of none of your business, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> even if it's not there. What's the first thing you thought was there? <laughs> Stuff you didn't want other people to see. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Right. Um, so it's that,
1: is that perception of safety that you got to think about too. Should
0: we roll <laughs> off on another one or?
1: Yeah, let's talk about legal.
0: Why, don't, why, why not? <laughs> I mean, in, in some respects, it's not fair for us to evaluate this right now because it's kind of a fresh new platform. But I myself have had two legal apps that I had to build. Okay. Sorry, well, three legal apps that I had to build. And they were like doozies too. They weren't just, oh, let's put a catalog item in and drop them to this table. One of them was just like hyper complex approval. Like you wouldn't believe. Another one was interaction with external counsel, okay. um, but smack in the middle of somebody else's workflow. So it was like a compliance workflow that had this legal component and the legal had to talk to outside legal and it all had to ha- happen on one app. So I feel like there's tons of workflows that they deal with. There is tons of money there. I guess the real thing is, does ServiceNow offer anything different than the modern legal department has an app for already and at a better price? And we don't know that.
1: No idea, really, right? Yeah. I think, is right, is it marketable? I don't know. So I got a general opinion on like, you know, ServiceNow apps. I think they, they tend to get them right eventually, right? But mm. unless it's something that you absolutely need, like right then and there... I tend to avoid the V1, right? I tend to avoid recommending V1 ServiceNow apps to my clients. And that's only because V2 is not incrementally better. It tends to be exponentially better. There's so much customer feedback that comes in on V1. It's like uh, the old adage in the IT world where it says when Microsoft releases a new version of Windows, you never, you never install the new version of Windows when it first comes out, right? Like you wait for Service Pack 1. This is kind of mm-hmm. like the same yeah, thing yeah. With, with me for some apps. So with legal, right? Like I, I think as it matures, we'll we'll start to see the value there. I don't know enough legal stuff, but as, as you said, Duke, you've built like three humongously complicated, like you know, legal apps. So I think this one, you know, is, it has some potential to be marketable.
0: It's definitely not standalone though, and that's no. It's kind of like one of those paradoxes, right? Is it just that they're waiting for somebody to be expert enough in it for it to kind of like gain some steam, or what? and it's extra extra complicated because who's going to be a stickler for the language and the what keeps us up at night more so than legal like who
1: right right
0: <laughs> precision is basically 90% of that whole domain <laughs>
1: so- no absolutely right it's all about the precision precision and all about liability and it's all about all kinds of things that it typically doesn't want to like you know have fall on its shoulders right it's all about the stuff we go to them for mm-hmm. <laughs> when i start thinking about the stuff that legal wants to do i start thinking about the stuff that you know the it goes to legal and says hey like help us out give me give me a shield for this like people are asking questions and so yeah i don't know where i was going with that but what, what kind of side skills do you think we need here what kind of skills do you think we we need to implement legal on service now
0: I don't think there's any technical side skills. Um, I think it's just a case of being familiar with their ways of working.
1: So then would you say probably when this app is mature, technically mind it like paralegal, this might be like a great place for somebody like that?
0: For certain. Yeah, I would would absolutely think so. We talk about knowing the language and stuff. And I think a paralegal is that perfect target for if this goes big, because they know the language, they know what keeps people up at night. They could speak from authority and they're even remotely technically inclined. They could configure the ServiceNow option.
1: Agreed. I think those are are the folks who would probably be most beneficial to looking at this. I think that's where we leave it.
0: Yeah, we're at 45 minutes of record, folks. So I know there's a lot of stuff we didn't talk about. Let us know if you want an episode two on this. And maybe we could talk about not only the remaining processes, but some of the technologies as well.
1: And yeah, maybe if there's anything, any of these that are specific, right, that you want to know more in depth, maybe we can get a, a guest expert on and we can
0: deep dive into it. Yeah, for sure. Leave a comment wherever you see this. Later. All right. CJ and the Duke is hosted by Robert the Duke Fedoric and Corey CJ Wesley. We are both freelance vendor agnostic ServiceNow experts who can help you in three different ways. If you want a true consigliere in your corner for your ServiceNow implementation, if you want to tell your customer story on CJ and the Duke, or if you want your brand in front of the largest independent ServiceNow podcast community, check the links below for how to contact us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.